As we begin our time in God's Word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for the blessings of worship. Lord, as we've sung together and heard from your Word, prayed together, Lord, we know that in each way you build us up. And Lord, I pray that as we open your Word to study from it this moment, Lord, that you would work through me, that I might preach the words that you would have me to say, that it might encourage these, your people, to walk in forgiveness, to walk as a forgiven people, and living in a forgiving way. And so, Lord, work in us now through your Spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be in two different places. Most of the time we're going to spend in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And then we'll flip over to Matthew chapter 18 to look at a parable that Jesus says later in the sermon today. But we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed as a, as a basic statement, a basic confession of what Christians believe. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have faith in Christ? What does it mean to believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ His Son and in the Holy Spirit? What things do we profess when we say that we are a Christian? And so we've worked through, all the way through, the clause about God the Father and then God the Son, and now we're on the section of the Apostles' Creed that deals with the Holy Spirit. And we've already looked at uh, the nature of the Holy Spirit, and we began last week to consider the works of the Spirit in the fact that the Spirit is building the church of God, that He is uh, bringing together people from every uh, nationality, every race, every tongue to be a part of the universal church. And so today, as we've done throughout this study in the Apostles' Creed, we're going to recite the creed together. And you have that printed there in the center of your bulletin. And so if you would, look there with me and recite that together with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So as we consider the second work of the Holy Spirit that we confess in this creed, we consider the fact that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe that you can be forgiven of your sins, and because of that forgiveness that you have of your sins, you can live as a forgiving person in this world. You can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, forgive others. Now, it has been my own personal experience as a believer that there are some uh, a few very real, subjective, personal evidences of the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this world. 
And I've talked about several of these before, but I want to mention them again. Uh, For one, a very real evidence in my mind of the truthfulness and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world is the fact that there is ever anyone who believes the gospel at all. Because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the gospel is foolishness to the world. The gospel seems like foolishness to unbelieving hearts and to unbelieving minds. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the uh, 1 Corinthians 1 that it is foolishness to the Gentiles. It seems like foolishness to those who are trained on philosophy, to those who can argue well, to those who love logic and all of that. The gospel message of a, uh, a peasant carpenter who was the son of God, who lived a sinless life and then died, on a, uh, died a criminal's death, death on a Roman cross and then rose again from the dead as the King of kings and Lord of lords, it seems like foolishness. It is not something that anyone believes by his own wisdom or perceptiveness, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in, at work in their lives. Second, a second evidence of the Spirit's work in this world is what we saw last week. And the fact that God is building His church throughout this world. The fact that people from different cultures and races and backgrounds all believe the same things about the, uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're all united around faith in Him is a testament to the reality of the Spirit of God. And lastly, there is very clear evidence of the Spirit's work in the fact that Christians live as a forgiven and a forgiving people. Throughout the centuries, those who have persecuted believers have marveled at and actually even been converted by the confidence with which martyrs have faced death. These persecutors marvel at the fact that Christians do not fear death because we know through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we have been forgiven. So we can face the flames of persecution. We can face the terrible deaths that so many martyrs have faced because they know that they stand before God forgiven and holy and righteous because of what Jesus has done. And they are able to face those terrible deaths because they know that their position before God is right. But the world also marvels at the uniquely Christian ability to forgive others. This supernatural power of forgiveness was on full display after the horrific shooting at Emmanuel AME Zion Church in Charleston, South Carolina on June the 17th, 2015, when a deranged man sat with members of the church all service long one Wednesday night at a prayer meeting and then got up, opened fire, killing nine people. Two days later, at the arraignment for the shooter, five relatives of the victim spoke up. The daughter of one victim said, you took something very precious from me, but I forgive you. It hurts me. You hurt a lot of people, but may God forgive you. 
the grandson of another victim, exhorted the shooter, we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so he can change your ways no matter what happens to you, and you'll be okay. I remember watching the news reports from from the hearing and how stunned the reporters were at these acts of forgiveness. They couldn't explain it. The reporters were dumbfounded by the fact that two days after this horrible murder scene, the victims or the families of the victims could get up in front and face their, uh, the, the, the offender directly and say that they forgave him. In fact, some news outlets even brought on experts to talk about how forgiving this quickly wasn't healthy. You see, the world cannot comprehend this kind of forgiveness because it's not of the world. The only reason that these faithful believers could forgive in this way was because of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And this is why we confess in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And there are three things that I want you to notice about forgiveness today. Three types of forgiveness that I want us to consider uh, that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we experience redeeming forgiveness, relational forgiveness, and reconciling forgiveness. Redeeming forgiveness, relational forgiveness, and reconciling forgiveness. So to see those, let's consider Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 together. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Paul writes this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So first of all, I want you to understand that by the power of God, we have redeeming forgiveness. In verses 31 through 33 of our passage, Paul begins this with this wonderful assurance of God's forgiveness. And he asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? So as we saw last week, If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been made a part of the church of God. And the word church, as I explained last week, 
is from the Greek word ecclesia, uh, um, I'm sorry, ecclesia, which means the called out ones. So if you are part of the church of God, you are God's special and precious people. You are made a part of the chosen ones of God. And so if you are part of this chosen of God, then Paul wonders in verse 33, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Now I want you to hear very clearly what Paul is saying right here. If the forgiveness of your sins were based on anything that you have done or can do or will do to maintain it, then you would have no hope. Do you understand that today? If the forgiveness of your sins were based on your works or your penance or your ability to do anything that God has commanded you to do, then you would be without hope or assurance in this world of the forgiveness of God. But praise God, our forgiveness is not based on our merit or our right standing, but on God's free gift. The forgiveness of God is something that He chooses to give by His free grace alone. The forgiveness of God is something that He alone has paid for through the blood of His Son. And we receive that forgiveness through the work of His Holy Spirit who calls us by faith and repentance. Our redemption is totally a work of God. From beginning to end, our redemption is totally a work of God. And because it is the work of God, we cannot lose it. Because it is the work of God, we cannot lose it. If God justifies, who is it that can condemn us? If it is God who has made us part of His elect through, through faith in Jesus Christ, then who can bring a charge against us? Who can condemn us? So Paul rejoices that there is nothing that can take us out of God's hand. I love Paul's list here in the rest of these verses that we just read. He lists out all these natural things that we might think can take us away, take the love of God away from us. Can tribulation or persecution or nakedness or sword or famine, can any of those things take us away from God's love? No. And there's nothing in heaven or earth or hell that can separate us from the love of God. And just to ca in case he missed anything in that long list of things that can't take us away from the love of God, he adds at the very end of that list, nor anything else in all of creation. There is nothing in this world that can take us from the love of God. If you are in Christ, you are loved Forgiven and redeemed. Second, by the power of God, we have relational forgiveness. In verse 34, Paul doesn't just say that we have been justified, but he goes on to say that God keeps on forgiving us because Jesus Christ is always interceding for us. It's not just that God, at the point of conversion, forgave your past sins, and he's like, okay, I got you going, I, got, I gave you, I revved you up, I got you in the door, I got you on the path, now, good luck, hope you can make it. That's not what God does. But instead, he goes on forgiving us 
Because Jesus is ever present before the throne of God, pleading our case. First John chapter two, verse one says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We we reject the belief of the Roman Catholics that when we are saved, God infuses us with righteousness and then we have to maintain that righteousness or risk losing our salvation. We also reject the belief of the Church of Christ that after our initial salvation, we can lose it through unconfessed sin. Now, in saying that, you might wonder, well, now, preacher, I know the Bible says that you're supposed to confess your sins. So why should we confess if we're already forgiven? Well, there are two reasons that you might seek forgiveness, that you might pursue forgiveness. In one case, you might pursue forgiveness because you stand criminally, criminally condemned and need a pardon. In this case, the relationship between the offender and the judge is broken by a crime or by sin. And if it is going to be repaired, the judge must offer a pardon. He must declare you not guilty or he must declare you to be righteous or innocent. And this is what happens when God justifies us through faith in Jesus Christ. He declares us righteous. That's what the word justified means. He declares us to be righteous. He pardons us. But there's another kind of forgiveness that we might pursue. And that is the forgiveness that repairs a friendship or a family. Now, I have four wonderful children and they're most for the most part, they're fairly obedient. They're very obedient, I should say. They do they do pretty much whatever I ask. But even though they're pretty obedient, there have been times where they have been disobedient, where they have uh, acted in rebellion or resisted what I said, or they have just neglected to do what I told them to do or what mama told them to do. Now, I can say with all certainty that there is nothing that can uh, that can separate the love that I have for my children from my children. There, there's nothing that my children can say or do that can make me stop loving them. And they will always be my children. Now, with that said, there are plenty of things that they can do to strain and damage our relationship, even to the point of separation. Like the prodigal son who demanded his inheritance and then went as far away as he could from his father and from his love. But just like that prodigal son, at the moment of repentance and confession, any loving father would come running to receive him again. And the same is true of our heavenly father. By his grace and work alone, we have been made a part of his family. But even still, we constrain that relationship through sin and rebellion. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. But our sins can drive us from his presence into a far country, away from the blessings and power of his work. So we are called to confess our sins that we might repair and maintain a close, a close walk with our Father. So finally, 
there is the third type of forgiveness that we need to address. Through the power of God, we have reconciling forgiveness. So for the Christian, there is a direct connection between our forgiveness in Jesus Christ and our willingness to forgive others. We find this throughout the New Testament. In fact, we just prayed it, right? When we prayed the Lord's Prayer, we said, forgive us our trespasses, what? As we forgive those who trespassed against us. Jesus repeatedly says that uh, if you are to be forgiven, then you must forgive others. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, this connection between our willingness to forgive and our own forgiveness, it seems like at first blush, it contradicts everything I've just said. It seems as though Jesus is setting up a works righteousness, a works salvation. If you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. Or maybe the Roman Catholic Church and the Church of Christ have it right. You can lose your salvation by failing to forgive. So to understand this connection between the forgiveness we receive from Jesus Christ and the forgiveness we ought to give to others, let's look at a parable that Jesus gives From Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. Now this comes right on the heels of Peter asking how many times he should forgive his brother. And Peter says, thinking he's going to be generous, should I forgive him seven? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And then to go further in answering the question, Jesus gives this parable. So starting in verse 23, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to set who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and, paid, uh, and, went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So to explain this principle of forgiveness, 
Jesus tells a parable of a man who owed his master an astronomical debt. Now, when I say astronomical, I mean billions of dollars. In today's terms, the money that he owed would be around $3 billion. So the gracious master, after hearing the pleading of his servant, forgives this huge debt. And when the servant leaves, he doesn't go out and celebrate. He doesn't use his newfound freedom to bless others. No, he goes directly and finds a fellow servant who owed him about $5,000. So he's been forgiven $3 billion, and now he's got a beef with a guy that owes him $5,000. And when he finds him, he chokes him, and he demands his money. And when the servant can't pay, he has him thrown in prison. Then the master finds out about this injustice, and he calls the servant to account. And notice in verse 32, he calls this servant wicked because he failed to appreciate the significance of his forgiveness or what it should mean for his relationship with other people. So here's the heart of the matter. Your willingness to forgive others is a direct reflection on what you believe about your own forgiveness. Your willingness to let go of the hurt that is done to you or or your unwillingness to do that and your, your desire to hold on to it is a reflection of the fact that you probably don't understand or believe that you have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ or you haven't rightly understood what it means. If you are tight-fisted and harsh with other people when they wrong you, even in the most insignificant of ways, then it is obvious that you have not understood the gospel. If you cannot see that the offenses of of others don't even come close to the offenses that Jesus took for your salvation, then perhaps you do not understand what has been done for you. As I quoted that passage earlier from Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, As we have been forgiven by the Lord, so we also ought to forgive. When you rightly understand the depth of your sin and the depths to which Jesus went to redeem you of your sin and to forgive you of every unrighteousness of your life, then you have to You carry a burden with you to forgive others because you rightly understand what Jesus has done for you. Those who have been changed by the Spirit to repent and trust in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ will, in turn, be a forgiving people. So friend, you need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. His forgiveness cannot be earned. It can only be given. It can't be taken, it can only be received. So won't you receive that forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters, because we have been forgiven, we ought to live in that forgiveness. Now that means that we can live in the forgiveness of God knowing that we have been reconciled to God. Uh, I, I know so many Christians, in fact we talked about that to, in this morning in Sunday school. I know so many Christians who live timidly, who live fearfully, 
Because even though they recognize that they have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, they, were, they act like they're walking on eggshells because they fail to recognize that they have a right standing with God even now, in this very hour, in this very moment, because they, live, they are forgiven by Him. They have been redeemed. And so they don't have to live as though they are trying to appease some pagan god who is going to strike them down with lightning at every moment if they do, if they take one wrong step. But they can live as those who are children of a heavenly father who loves them and through whom they have the, uh, an inheritance that is eternal and that nothing in this world can separate them from the love of God. And that if they damage that relationship through sin, they have uh, the, the Son of God pleading their case before the Father even in this very moment. And all they need to do is confess to repair that broken relationship. So we can live as reconciled, forgiven believers and walk in confidence because we know that we stand forgiven and we can live boldly for Jesus Christ because of that forgiveness. But we can also live in forgiveness by forgiving others. So may we witness to the power of the Spirit by faithfully walking in that forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would live as a forgiven people, as those who have been redeemed, and that that might motivate us to live in boldness and to live for you, not as uh, some uh, austere master who is going to punish us for every wrong step, but as a father who loves us and seeks us and seeks to walk with us in that forgiveness. Lord, I pray that we would reflect that forgiveness in our own lives by being a forgiving people, that we would offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us. We would repair relationships. We would seek reconciliation because that is what you have done for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless us now as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.